Welcome back, everybody. I get the distinct pleasure of speaking to one of my favorite acting teachers, uh, somebody who's local to my hometown of Chicago, hometown, hometown of Chicago. Uh, I'm speaking to Doug McDade, who is not just an acting teacher, but he's also a director. He's also an actor himself, a very accomplished actor, award-winning actor. Um, I'm really, really excited, Doug. I, I haven't seen you for, for quite a while. I know we've spoken on social media, but welcome, welcome. Welcome back. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you so much, Alan. Thank you, sir. Um, first of all, uh, allow me to start off with uh, with a, a little bit of a story and an apology, because oh. the class that I took from you in 2012, I never finished. And uh, I, I, I'm not sure I ever gave you the reason why, so here's the reason. Uh, in, in 2012, I, I kind of uh, set out to find myself, and I was so sick of pretending to be somebody else. Uh, I was pretending to be this IT executive of a firm, which uh, you know I was very good at, but it wasn't really me. I, I, I basically, when I was shaking people's hands and I had to introduce myself as, hi, I'm Alan Baysberg and I'm an IT consultant, everything within me was just, no, that's not who you are. You are an actor, you're a writer, you're, you're those things and you're not doing any of them. You know, Follow your essence type of thing. So, I got into your class and it's extremely interesting because I start pursuing what I wanted to do for so long. And then towards the end of the class, we start doing script analysis. And uh, there's something that clicks in me and says, oh, now I have to pretend to be somebody else. I do not want to pretend to be anybody else. I just want to be me. And at that point, uh, I had to stop. And it wasn't, it wasn't you, obviously. It was just that at my point of uh, whatever was happening in my life, I didn't really understand what acting was. So then the question that comes out of all of this long story and an apology is, when you're an actor, are you being somebody else or is it really about finding yourself? You know, Alan, I wish you would have said that to me before you left because I would have cleared it up for you and you would have been there and we would have still been working together some way, somehow. Um, yeah. No. You do not play somebody else. Uh, at least that's where my success has come from. Uh, I always say to my actors that you want to be an actor because you have all of these voices inside you that you need to speak to. And the great thing about acting is you're not acting, you're being. You're being real. So everything you do comes from your perspective, your um, life experience, your life's imagination. It's, you know, I have some people say, well, I've never done that before well imagine yourself doing that what would you do in those circumstances so i'm a big proponent of be yourself when you act find those situations and how you respond to them and be truthful to them sometimes you have to substitute sometimes not but just be truthful to who you are and that's what we find interesting yeah, uh, sorry, I, I was I forgot to uh, to set my watch so it doesn't ring. So that's what oh, I was you know, looking at. I did that with my phone too. Oh no, thank you for reminding me, sir. <laughs> uh, thank you. It's it took me a while, and again, everything is you know life is circular, um, and um, taking a lot more classes because I kind of took a break from acting uh, for for a number of years after that, and then I got back into it for real uh, about three years ago, and then I started to really uh, understand what acting was about, but it took a while. It took me taking many classes with different people, many workshops, until I got to a point where I was able to throw a lot of the uh, uh, stuff away and just say, no, 
it's me. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I remember Billy Bob Thornton, you know, kind of uh, mentioning this, that, you know, I'm getting awards for all of these roles and you guys thinking I'm playing all these characters. I hate to tell you, it's just me. Uh, so that, that kind of uh, stuck in my mind and I started to slowly return to, instead of uh, just putting on a character and instead of trying to figure everything out, just start with me and go from there. Uh, so I should have talked to you a long time ago, but I don't think I was ready to hear it. So uh, I want to help. Yeah, there are, there are, I always say there are no regrets, Alan. Uh, if you could have done something at the time, you would have done it. No need to, don't waste your time on regretting. Just focus on what can I do now to the best of my ability, you know? So uh, you needed that journey, but it's great to hear that you finally came back around. <laughs> I did. Uh, I did end up doing a movie uh, again, right? Uh, right, kind of uh, during your class. And that was my first movie that I have done. And I talked to the, uh, to the director and producer of it uh, uh, you know, a few weeks ago um, about it. And what I remember, and I, I, I've mentioned that story to you before, but I remember specifically in your class, you were teaching us how to cry, uh, how to cry on cue. And at that time, one of the techniques that you showed was using breathing. And I distinctly remember the, uh, the you know, uh, main actress in the movie. Uh, she had to do a scene and obviously, you know, many takes of it. And she had to cry and uh, it just, it didn't happen for her. So I asked permission and I took her aside and I taught her the technique that I just heard from you, you know, the week before and using breathing and it worked beautifully. She cried. Uh, everything went well. Like, yes, there, way to go, way to go, Doug. And I felt like I knew something, which at that point I didn't know very much. So thank you for that. No, thank you. I, I'm glad that it worked. <laughs> you know? It did. It did. That's great. Well, I knew that it worked because you showed it in front of the whole class. I remember one person asked you, you know, how do you cry on cue? And instead of you just going into a, you know, an answer, you showed it and you started kind of breathing and then tears came and you said, this is how you do it. And you started with the breathing. So, don't make, uh, okay, don't make me cry. <laughs> okay, got it, got it, got it. Not that kind of interview, right? Um, so let's kind of back up and I want to dive into the different uh, parts of your career because Again, you are an actor, you are a teacher, you are a, uh, a director. Um, how did you get started with acting? What was it in your life and at what point was it that you said, this is my uh, everything, I, I need to be doing this? Well, I, uh, I was on the road as a musician, uh, probably right out of high school. I went to a, a college, a junior college, and I was in a band that was doing very, doing very well. And we were seeing a lot of success. And I used that money to put myself through school. But then the, the band became very popular. And uh, I had to quit school and uh, went on tour. And uh, toured for uh, quite a few years. Uh, did a couple of albums um, that uh, I'm the band that I'm in the band that didn't make it, you know, so to speak. Uh, but we cut a few records and so forth. And then I just got tired of living out of a suitcase. I was on the road. We were on the road 28 days out of the month, you know, for several years, uh, sometimes single night stands, sometimes two week stands. Uh, had the had the pleasure of performing with some wonderful people, uh, name bands. Um, and uh, I just had to stop. And uh, I was pacing in my apartment and I had a friend over and he said, what's the matter with you? I says, 
I don't know, you know, about eight o'clock every night when you're supposed to hit the stage in a band, I was climbing the walls. And he said, you ought to go down to the community theater here and, and see if you can uh, get involved with the, the community players because um, uh, you need to be back on the stage. And I didn't, I, I totally divorced myself from music at the time. Um, it was just a bad taste in my mouth. A bad, I left on uh, very bad terms in the industry uh, with my bandmates and uh, I was soured on the whole thing. So I, uh, I trotted down to the uh, local uh, community theater uh, and I was based in Sheboygan, Wisconsin at the time. And I have to give a, a plug to Sheboygan Community Players, who's now the Sheboygan Theater Company. And I walked in and I'm just probably three months off the road. So my hair was still, when I had hair, was still down to my shoulders and, uh, you know, wearing the tight clothes and this open shirt chest or the, yeah, the, uh, you know, the revealing stuff and really tight. And uh, the director looked at me and went, what are you? And I said, well, I'm here to uh, get involved in the theater. And he said, well, you know, maybe we can find some roles for you backstage, you know, as crew member until you work your way into a line or two and, and maybe, uh, you know, someday actually get on stage in front of an audience. I said, yeah, that's cool. I just need to be around the environment. And uh, well, make a long story short, he said, just, I'm just curious, could you sing for us? And uh, the piano was there. And uh, so I sang happy birthday, you know, and uh, uh, I uh, was asked to see if I could move. And so I did a couple of little moves and uh, I landed my first acting role as Sir Joseph Porter in, um, uh, what is the name of that? I forgot that play. It's uh, Sir Joseph Porter in When I Was a Lad, I Served It to Him. I can't remember the show anymore. Who's that long ago? Um, oh, HMS Pinafore. And um, uh, that kind of started it. And I remember one night, and it was a huge theater, 1,500-seat uh, theater. And uh, one night in front of a packed house, I'm standing there, and I'm interacting with uh, one of my good friends who was in the show, uh, Glenn Kimmel. Whatever happened to you, Glenn? Are you out there yet? And I, he played Rafe Rackstraw. And I went, wow, Glenn, are you in there? This is in my head while I'm on stage. Glenn. Glenn, oh, this guy's like totally Rafe Rackstraw. I was blown away. And uh, I went, how did you do that? That is really cool. And uh, fortunately, and I'm working on a book right now about it, but fortunately, being an artist as a musician and a singer, a friend said to me, uh, you know, you should be able to act because you imitate. Um, I was Okay, there's pictures of me on Facebook, but I was an Elvis Presley imitator, and I did uh, in the shows. I did Joe Cocker, I did Mick Jagger, I did David Bowie. Um, we did sets like that, and of course we did the Beatles, you know. And so he said, "You can take on all of these characters, so you should be able to act." And so I sat down with Glenn, and Glenn said, "You know, just believe what you're doing," and I went. Okay, you mean like as Sir Joseph Porter? He said, yeah. Oh, okay. And the rest is history. I learned so much from uh, all of those people, and they all became mentors at one point. And then slowly, uh, I got lead role after lead role after lead role in community theater. And then all of a sudden, I was offered a role at a uh, summer stock theater in Michigan. 
uh, called the Red Barn Theater, and that's where I got my equity card. And uh, I did four shows, four shows there, and then came to Chicago, and here I am. The rest is history. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, I think I heard you talk about you being a musician, but I didn't remember that whole story. Thank you. That's sure. fascinating. I love that. Uh, and as somebody who always wanted to sing, who does not have a great singing voice, I really, really respect that even more now. We can work on that, Alan. We can yes, we can. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wanted to say, uh, I wanted to add too, I got off on a little bit of a tangent there. I'm working on a book about uh, a lot of great actors were musicians and singers first. And uh, uh, as an example, Justin Timberlake and Harry Connick Jr. Uh, and Frank Sinatra, you know, you could go on. Uh, and it really nailed what gave me the idea for the book. And it's taking me a long time to write it because I'm doing so many things. But I saw this woman on the on the film Precious and she played a social worker. And I went, oh, my gosh, this woman is so interesting. Who is this? No makeup, kind of straggly hair, dressed like a, a social worker. No offense to social workers, but you could tell she was in that environment. And mm -hmm. Uh, at the end, I'm looking at the credits and it's Mariah Carey. And I'm blown away and I'm thinking it's too bad she makes so much money as a singer because I thought she was she nailed a perfect performance. So anyway, I just wanted to throw that in there. No, it's it's true. Um, again, I, I'm, I'm not sure if J-Lo started out first as a dancer a and became a singer and then an actress. But from an acting perspective, I think J-Lo is really, really, really yes. talented. Absolutely. I, I totally agree. Um, uh, the work that she does and she's a great she's a great model for young actors or young artists uh, because she's a fantastic uh, businesswoman. Um, she has great vision and great insight and uh, she knows how to manage her career so well. So that would be somebody I would recommend that any young women getting into the industry would follow and pay attention to. Yeah, um, absolutely. So let's let's talk about Chicago because again, you know, Chicago is a little different, right? Okay, we're not going to say right now because during COVID times everything is different. But you know, prior to uh, to COVID times, so you know, six months ago, Chicago uh, kind of grew up in a way because now we have. I always mispronounce it. Is it Cinespace or Cinspace? How, how am I pronouncing it? I thought it was Cinespace. So that's, that's, that's way. Okay. So we're in the ballpark. We'll go with that. So Chicago has in the space, which means we have our own sound stages, which means now we're, you know, for the last uh, number of years, we started to have all of these shows coming in. Thank God for Dick Wolf. And we had Empire and we had all sorts of things. But Chicago wasn't like that before. As a matter of fact, there were very few things done in Chicago on screen. So a lot of Chicago used to be improv and theater, which is kind of, uh, you know, goes back and commercials, excuse me, uh, which is a lot of what you were doing. You were doing a ton of theater. When did it start to kind of switch into a point where you started auditioning and started getting on screen? Um, well, first of all, I want to give credit to uh, some friends of mine at Studio City. Studio okay. City uh, was very strong in the late 80s and 90s, mid 80s and 90s. And uh, I'm actually working on a project with one of the owners now uh, that we hope to bring to fruition. Um, there's so many roadblocks when it comes to things like that. But um, I, uh, <clears throat> I I wanted to get into the film industry. I've always been a very visual guy. And uh, I thought, well, you know, there's such a great extras market in Chicago for 
commercials and, and film, and even lyric opera has some extras opportunities. And so uh, I think the first film I was in as an extra was Untouchables. And uh, David Mamet wrote that movie and then pulled his name off, I believe. But uh, The Untouchables with Kevin Costner and Sean Connery. Yeah. And uh, it was a fabulous experience. I got a couple of close-ups as an extra. And I went, oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. And uh, so I did about a half a dozen extras films. And uh, yeah, after you do some extra work, if you're really a uh, an artist who's interested in going further, you realize at some point, okay, this has got to stop. Yeah. And my last film, I was called, I was having trouble with an agent, at, my agent at the time. And uh, I uh, I called her up and I said, I don't know what's going on, but I haven't heard from you guys. And I'm kind of looking around now for another agent. And uh, that agent's no longer around, by the way. And she said, oh, I'm so sorry. Well, we'll try to find something for you. And then later that afternoon, she calls me and she says, uh, we have an audition for you. David Mamet wants to meet you. Uh, at, uh, I forget what the name of the hotel is, over on the uh, North Loop. And uh, I went, yeah, right. I just called you like three hours ago, and all of a sudden you've got me meeting David Mamet. Uh-huh, right. And so I went down, and uh, I think it was the Astor Hotel, and uh, I walked in, and there was this guy standing there dressed almost exactly the way I am, except he's 60 years older than I or 50 or whatever, how old or ever old he was. And it was Don Amici. And okay. I was same, and with the same skin tone, I've got some pictures somewhere, he and I. And I basically was auditioning to under, well, not understudy, I guess, uh, stand in for Don Amici. And I thought, well, this is a joke. The guy's 100 years older than I am. I, I can't do this. And then David Mamet walked up to me and slapped his hand on my shoulder and said, you know, I heard all about you. And J.J. Uh, Johnson was there. Joe Mantegna was there. Uh, Michael Nussbaum was there. And uh, he said, Doug, tell everybody about your background. You, you had something to do with magazines, right? And I froze for a minute and I went, oh, my gosh, David Mamet is asking me to improv right here in front of God and everybody. And so I said, well, you know, I've been publishing Boys Life magazine for several years. And I went into this spiel and had everybody cracking up and I got the job. And uh, I ended up, uh, you know, shadowing Don Amici. And uh, that was my last extras job, actually. And it turned out to be not an extra job, but a stand in job. And uh, it was it was really a great experience. And David Mamet is is a phenomenal individual. And uh he, uh, you know, is like a little kid on set, uh, ego free zone. You're, you're in the midst of him. I recall being with him and I, you feel like you're in the midst of the genius. Uh, you really do. But yet he was easy to talk to and easy to communicate with. And, um, it was, it was a great experience and he, uh, upped our pay because he said so many people turned down the opportunity and there were two extras or two stand-ins, myself and my good friend, Marty Pratcher. And, uh, we, you know, we just responded so well on the set and showed that we were really interested. And, uh, he wrote a couple of roles in the film for us at the end of the film. And he was writing scenes on a set. It was fantastic. He'd, they'd be just someplace at a, at a location, he said, you know, I'm done with storyboarding. I can't work that way. I just gotta 
he was very he's very instinctive and so he said uh somebody got a paper give me a paper bag and he rips it up and he shreds he writes down lines he goes here you say this here you you say this and then you do this and you do that and i'm going wow this is amazing and it worked you know and so he said okay so i want you and marty to do this and he handed us this and he handed us that and he said okay now just walk down the street and have this conversation and uh it was great uh it was a great experience i got my uh after my sag card uh from that uh performance it, we didn't we made it on the cutting room floor but we got paid for our stand-in work and our you know our role as well so it was a very great experience so that's really how it started as yeah. in terms of my film work my theater work in chicago was a little uh i wasn't i wasn't nailing anything yet so it was a little bit of a struggle that was 1987 i believe Okay, yeah, but then things picked up because uh, you, you got uh, quite a few nominations and and a win, I think, in 1995 for uh, for your work. So um, how did you know how did that progress? Is it something within you as an actor that changed, or just getting the right opportunity? Well, you know, I I don't know. Um, I uh, I you know we talked with Marty and I were really interested in moving our careers forward. Uh, the other the other stand in. And so we had conversations with JJ Johnston and, and Joe Mantegna. And at the time they were studying with uh, Ted Liss, um, who, depending on who you talk to, was either <clears throat> great or not so great. Uh, I don't really know. I, what I do know is uh, I was allowed to be myself when I was with Ted and he and I fought tooth and nail all the time about performances. Uh, but Joe, Joe and Johnston, uh, um, anyway, they read Joe Mantegna and J.J. Johnson recommended that we study with Ted. And so Marty and I went there and then Marty ended up drifting off and I stayed with it. And uh, I, I remember saying to a director in my early 20s that I, I really felt akin to Shakespeare. And uh, he said, oh, you, you'd never be able to handle Shakespeare. You're an old rock and roll star, you know, even at 22. Um, but studying with Ted, uh, he was very passionate about Shakespeare. And to see somebody with passion, it, it's it's alluring and it's captivating and it's intriguing. And it turns out that the words kind of fall together for me in Shakespeare. And I decided to go to RADA in, in London because that's the big uh, classical theater training place. And so I went in 1989. I auditioned with, uh, uh, I don't know, about a half a dozen other actors from Chicago, and five of us made it. They were taking five from New York, five from Chicago, and five from L.A. And at that time, RADA had decided that they were going to go strictly academic. Mm -hmm. And they fired a lot of their old, old um, instructors. And so those instructors went off and, and started their own school called the London Shakespeare Studio. And it was David Perry and uh, Elizabeth Price and uh, Judith, uh, can't, I'm sorry, I can't recall Judith's last name. Um, but uh, it was a wonderful experience and I felt it was the right thing to do. I had just finished a film with, um, uh, um, I'm sorry, Fred Williamson. And it was called uh, Soda Cracker or the Kill Reflex. Reflex. 
and uh, I had a great audition with him and uh, I had already gotten a role. I didn't even realize. I don't know how that happened, but right after that, I thought, I've got to have integrity as an actor, so I'm going to go do this at the London Shakespeare Studio. So I was there for six months and it was a great program and I came back and uh, I, I was with a couple of other dear friends that went to the Tedless School of the Performing Arts who are still dear friends to this day. And I auditioned for a show called The Count of Monte Cristo. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was David Zack was the director and Roger Smart was the assistant director. And I landed the role, um, I landed a role in that show. And uh, Roger at the time was working with another group of uh, young artists and uh, invited me to come and audition for them. And the play was Talk Radio. And Roger was directing Talk Radio and the group was called Shattered Globe Theater. Okay. And they had just received their um, uh, 501c3, I believe. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a little murky remembering all the, all the details there, but uh, I think uh, they were incorporated in February, February 21st, uh 1991 i think and so in the fall i was one of the i became one of the original quote unquote ensemble members of shattered globe and i owe shattered globe my theatrical and film career life because uh i was fortunate enough to work with some great people and get some great roles that got me a, an awful lot of attention and that's luck you know i guess and, and as an actor, there were many times when I thought, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not good enough to do this. I'm not good to do this. And then I look around at all the fabulous actors around me and I go, I must be okay. I must be all right. And then working with great directors and I'm going, wow, um, that's a really good director. And he picked me, hmm, I must be okay. And so after a couple of shows, I started teaching here and there at, at libraries and stuff in 1994. and uh, you know, all of a sudden things started clicking. And then I did Manchurian Candidate in 1995. And uh, I remember I was nominated for uh, Eddie Carboni in A View from the Bridge in 1993. And uh, I didn't make it, but a couple of others, Steve Key and Eileen Nikolai and Rebecca Jordan, who are all still dear friends, uh, were all uh, nominated and won, as I recall. I did not, and I was, yeah, it kind of took my knees out from underneath me, but then the director brought me back for Manchurian Candidate, Lou Conti uh, brought me back for Manchurian Candidate, and I remember I worked so hard for Ronnie uh, Carboni, and I real, really peeled the pages back and peeled the layers back on myself, and I got great reviews and was nominated, but I worked, I remember working so hard on that, uh, because it's an American classic, and when I got Manchurian Candidate, I uh, I went, oh my gosh, I know this guy, you know, and uh, I, I played uh, Johnny Island, and if you see the movie, uh, the guy's a character, and I I did my usual work, but I didn't sweat over the role like I did Eddie Carboni, and I kind of did, I guess I would have to say, uh, and not to misalign anybody, but I it was kind of a blowhard Donald Trump kind of guy, you know? And uh, I won best actor for that, or not best, they didn't call him best at the time, but uh, yeah. 
I won the, and I was like, wow, that's amazing. Uh, but it, again, it's all about enjoying what you're doing and, and having a blast at it and people feed off of that. Yeah. Um, so let's let's uh, dive into your acting approach because you kind of mentioned a few things there, but what have you found that works for you? And I know stage uh, versus screen, there, there are elements that are very different, but what have you found that this is my approach and this works for me? Um, well, one, the one thing I've found is I have a different process for just about every production. Uh, not at every productions, but uh, fortunately, I've been doing this long enough that identify, okay, this isn't going, this approach isn't going to work. I have to do this. And uh, I think uh, first and foremost is you just have to, you just have to let go and you have to ignore all of the negative opinions and uh, look at the positive uh, sides of the story because I, and I learned this very on, and I just now, in the last four or five years, started working on this in terms of a philosophy for teaching. But just let go and, and look at the bright side, because then you have something to lose. You know, if you look at the negative side, I, I don't go anywhere looking at the negative side. And so, um, first and foremost, just burying your soul. A great example is I was doing, I had the good fortune of, uh, since I've been acting, to do great roles, whether they were for big theaters, little theaters, or community theaters. And I was doing um, uh, a play by Tennessee Williams called The Glass Menagerie. And I was cast as Tom Wingfield. And uh, I poured myself into that role and, uh, you know, the the protection that we were doing amanda the the mother was kind of abusive so to speak but i remember the director coming up to me going you know like two weeks before opening and saying and again i was very young at the time uh and had no acting training whatsoever just my musician instincts but he came up to me and he said you know doug you're just not you're just not coming to the party and we opened in a couple of weeks uh, you need to come back you know, we were off for three days. You need to come back to rehearsal in three days and you need to knock this out of the park or I'm going to have to replace you. <clears throat> what? 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 I'd never been fired from anything, not even my paper route. So I, 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 w I was blown away and I said, well, I don't know what you're talking about. What do you want me to do? He said, I don't know. Just grab a bottle of wine and lock yourself in a closet and turn out the light and figure it out. Okay. Anyway, okay. I can do that, I guess. And I came up with some very startling revelations. Uh, and I realized that the difficult, the most difficult thing for us to do, and of course you read it in a lot of acting books, is to be ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's the hardest thing for an actor to do because we don't want anybody to see the bad side of us. And the bad side can be horrible or it can be okay, but we perceive it as, as very, very bad and a shame to, you know, humanity. And I might be exaggerating a little bit, but when it gets down to the nitty gritty, that's what it's about. And I can't let anybody see that side of me. Yeah. And um, I thought, this is the only thing I can put my finger on that he wants. And so I went back and I, you know, did the... Uh, most raw Tom Wingfield you could imagine. And 
He said, yeah, I, I knew you could do it. And then he walked away. And I went, you know, it's like probably, probably my sixth lead role ever. And, uh, you know, I went from there. But so the processes are different depending on where the role is and what the situation is. Uh, sometimes it's just um, writing lengthy journals about your travel in this role. You know, we try to stay away from the word character because that a character becomes characterization. And now we're playing somebody who is not us. We're playing something else. And there's a lot of times when theater asks for that, but it's really allowing ourselves to project and our personality. And so um, I think I um, studied and I just looked for realism in, in every corner of that role. I, I was cast as Polonius uh, in 1996 or 1997 by a great actor um, working out of uh, one of the acting studios in Chicago at the time. And I did the audition and we're sitting and talking and he leans into me and he goes, who'd you study with? Who'd you study Meisner with? And I went, What's Meisner? Well, no, Meisner. He said, "No, no, stop. No, don't screw around with me. Who? Because you're 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 doing fabulous. You're doing fabulous work. And 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 I've never seen anybody do Meisner the way you have." And I went, "I really, I don't know what you're talking about." And he was furious with me. And that edge remained throughout the the entire show and the production. And I went, "Okay, I got to find out what Meisner is." And um, I found out what Meisner is, and I went, "Oh, okay." So it's, I don't know how to explain it, but you know, it's kind of method acting kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, no, I- Am I, I helping I, at all? Is any of that clear? I don't know. <laughs> it is, it is. Uh, I, at least it's, it's helping for me. I'm sure that, uh, you know, people will, will come to their own uh, conclusions, but I sure. think it is. And for me, the biggest uh, kind of change was in order, to get a, it, uh, in order to get out of my head, I need to be in your eyes. And uh, based on that, uh, everything else, I don't have to worry. I don't have to think about it. I have the lines. I can just react. I can be here. And this could be a normal uh, conversation like we're normally having. So, you know, once I started and I went to Black Box uh, and I took uh, the, you know, B1 uh, from them, that changed kind of everything because it, it became about imagination. It became about emotion. It became about movement and Meisner. And, then I relaxed because otherwise I'm a writer in my head and I had the same issue with improv. You know, in improv, it really took me a kind of number of months to get out of my head and just be there and be available because uh, I'm always writing what the next thing is going to be and I'm going to set you up for this and I'm going to use this. No, just be. Yeah, you just um, got to just react. You know, I didn't know you took improv. That's great. I think I recommend yeah. improv for everybody, but because it, it really sharpens your mind, you know, and uh, makes you spontaneous just by virtue of, oh, I got to respond right now. You know, you can't plan on anything like you said. So that's great that you took that. I did. Uh, I, I took uh, a year plus of improv at uh, at Second City downtown because I was watching whose line is it anyway. And then we went yeah. on an Alaskan uh, uh, cruise uh, by Norwegian Cruise Line. And we had a second city troop there. And I'm thinking, how much of an idiot am I? I just, I'm right here. Why am I not going to second city? So I went to second city. I did the A through E there, plus a few other things. And I auditioned for the conservatory. Uh, thankfully, I didn't make it because 
at that point, I knew that I wasn't going to do this professionally in terms of uh, being a professional improv, uh, you know, player. And I, I just had to, you know, kind of extract myself from that environment as much as I loved every second of it. Uh, because I have a family, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be traveling uh, anywhere and uh, making, you know, unfortunately, the amount of money that uh, that they make, which is ridiculous. And it just, it wasn't what I was going to go. So I, I took myself out. But yeah, I, I love improv. I use improv in everything that I do since then. Well, yeah, uh, you have, you have yeah. to. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I did study, I was uh, for one term at, uh, uh, the school of the, I think it was called the school of second city or something like that, which is kind of the junior program. Mm -hmm. And from there I, I studied, I did a session or two with uh, Del Close and uh, you know, so I have some great memories from that time and one met some wonderful people from that time. So uh, mm -hmm. yeah. And it, and it really spoke to me about how important improv is and how it just keeps your mind sharp. And, you know, when you talk about acting processes, there's some roles that just need that. You know, you need to absorb the script, and uh, as Anthony Hopkins says, and and then just let the part play through you. And so, um, by being open to and receptive to all that, I call it inspiration, uh, and just popping back, I think is a great advancement in our work. Agreed. Um, I want to go back to again one of the stories that I heard you mention because it's important and it deals with auditioning and it deals with uh, approach and it deals with you know mindset. Uh, I remember you saying that you went into an audition um, in Chicago and you nailed the part and the casting director came up to you and said, "Look, this is you, you did great. I'm bringing you back. Uh, you're going to come for a callback. Just do the same thing." And you came for the callback and what happened there? Well, yeah, <laughs> you're talking about DK, right? <laughs> uh, I didn't remember the name of the project. I remembered the story, yeah. and, and I, 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 I still have it to this day. I'm like, okay, I know what to do because Doug, you know, shared his experience. I just want everybody else to hear it now. Yeah, um, it's about staying focused. I guess the lesson from that is staying focused. I went to the audition, and I prepare like a madman uh, most of the time. And this was for this a very special film. Uh, and the students who work with me know the name of it. Um, but uh, I, I don't, I'm not comfortable mentioning it right now. But uh, uh, I, 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 I was meeting with one of the top um, casting directors in LA for the role. And uh, yeah, he knocked over the camera because he was, we were, it was, we were just riffing and it was great. And he didn't knock it over, but he bumped it and knocked it off frame. And yeah. uh, he said, oh my gosh, he said, uh, uh, you know, the director's going to be here uh, later this afternoon. Could you come back? I really want him to see your work. It's amazing. And yeah. I said, okay, thank you. And I said, sure, I'll be back. And he said, come back in two hours. And so I went waltzing out to my car in the parking lot and my agent called me and said, Doug, Doug, you got a call back for this role. Uh, you know, you're going to be going back and you're going to be meeting the director, um, you know, in, in two hours. And I went, yeah, I know. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I'm headed to my car now to work on, on the scene. And it was for a prominent scene at the beginning of the film. And uh, I worked on it, just kept running it and running it and running it. And um, I went back in and I was ready to go. And I just keep running and running and running and running until they call me in because I want to be sharp. 
And, you know, people say, well, aren't you stale? But I think, uh, you know, what I push now is you need to know your moment before. And if you know your MB4, your moment before, um, you will bring the same integrity to the role that you had when you first read it uh, and much more with much more depth. And all of a sudden, this guy sits down next to me, uh, an actor that I, I know I haven't seen for a couple of years. And he sits down next to me and he starts talking to me. And he's chattering about all the wonderful work he's done and how much money he's making and blah, 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 blah. And I'm sitting there just kind of nodding my head going. And in my head, I'm going, Doug, get up and walk away. Get up, just excuse yourself politely and, and go to the other side of the room and get focused. And he kept talking and talking and talking. And all of a sudden, uh, the casting director stuck his head out and went, Doug. Everything was gone. I walk into the room. The director stands up, big smile on his face, says that the casting director told me I bought you, shakes hands. He says, great, let's get started. Go. And action, I was gone. I mumbled and stumbled and we got off track and I frustrated the casting director who is my reader and I frustrated myself and it just went down into a dark hole. And as we're doing this, the director was, you know, fixated on, on the monitor. And I saw him out of the corner of my eye, his head just went down, pulled over a paper and he started writing, looking at his through headshots, and I went, oh, I'm screwed. And he said, okay, yeah, that's great, Doug, who's next? And I walked out of the room and I, I was devastated. And I thought, you know, since I was teaching at the time, I thought, I don't ever want another actor to go through this humiliating experience. Yeah. And so, you know, the lesson learned is we have a job to do, even when we're auditioning, and that's to prepare for the role. Don't prepare for the audition, prepare for the role, go in and run the role and run it and run it and run it and run it until you're ready. So it's you, you know, and again, it goes back to Anthony Hopkins, who I'm a, I'm a big fan of his, and he says, just let the part play through you. But it's Peter, Peter O'Toole said uh, in, a, in an interview with Charlie Rose, uh, you know, it's called study. We don't memorize anything, we study. And, and so uh, I think you study and study and study. And then, you know, the improv experience, talking about improv, being in the audition, being ready for anything that comes your way and being able to respond immediately, emotionally or verbally in, in pitch or tone. And uh, that makes the difference, but you can't drop out and pop in. I suppose some people can, I cannot. I have to I have to give it 100% all the time. So that's that's my wonderful story. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, there's a part of me that's that's uh, a bit sorry for bringing it up and having you relive it. But the other part of me is it's just it's so valuable to everybody. Uh, as I'm never gonna forget that story. Uh, and I I've been in rooms after that and kind of wanting to chat to my friends I'm like ooh nope stay in the moment. Stay in a moment. So it helped me. I want to make sure that it helps others as well. Thank you, Doug. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important to realize that there are people in the room. You know, I have a couple of students that are doing very well. And, I, you know, I, I shared that story with them. And, you know, I get reports back from directors that my students have worked with saying, you know, they set the bar in the, in the production. Uh, and, you know, thank you. They attributed it to me. Um, I, I hope that's true, but I think the important thing is we have a job to do 
and we can't duck out, we can't phone it in. If you're going to be real, if you're going to be authentic, if you're going to have integrity in the role, you need to stay in it. Yeah. You know, it's common sense. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I know I want to ask you a lot more questions, but we're kind of getting short on time. So I want to ask you about core vulnerability. Um, when you and I were talking before and I mentioned the, you know, the breathing technique for crying, you said, yeah, I have something different now that I think works better. What is it? I want to know it. I want to start using it. Okay. So and um, for crying purposes, yeah. Okay. I'm going to lean in here. Uh, okay. So, you know, the breathing technique works, but it doesn't work for anybody uh, right. and everybody. Um, it's it's and and it really it's it's about holding your breath and internalizing the situation and 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 you know because our our body physically reacts to certain situations and so uh, if I recall that technique that I taught back then it was pull your stomach in as tight as you can that's what I'm doing right now and then and then with a certain amount of breathing you can lose it so to speak uh, but it's not 100 percent all the time and so I started looking into it and uh, I ran a course because I, I read a little bit of uh, philosophy and psychology and stuff like that and I I read and I'm sorry I can't remember the name but I read a um, uh, psychiatrist not a psychiatrist a psychologist who said that uh, uh, he did a piece on core vulnerability and I and I do that. I look at stuff and I go, how can I use that both as an actor and as a teacher? Because what I'm teaching my students is what I know as an actor that works and has mm -hmm. gotten me the success that I have. And I went, core vulnerability, it sounds interesting. And I looked into it and and dug deep and tried to turn it back to acting and actors. And uh, basically, it's uh, it's what's at your core? What breaks you? What is so devastating to you that you're literally at the end of your rope? Mm -hmm. And, and uh, that's your core vulnerability. And if you approach every piece of work with love, as I mentioned earlier, and I've really focused on that recently, um, you have something to lose. And what you have to lose is exposing that core vulnerability. Hmm. And uh, it takes a lot of work to, in, in, in the old school, they used to say, peel away the onion, peel away the onion. And old, old acting teachers were very abusive, I think. I certainly had a few of them. And, and you know, then they get, they expose you and they say, ah, that's it, you know. And I think that that doesn't do anybody any good. I think it's better to... Put yourself in a dark closet, turn off the light with a bottle of wine and study what is going on with you on the inside. What is the thing that you dare not admit to anybody because you expose yourself as at the bottom of the human condition? And a great example, I've seen some great examples in artists work, and I know that they don't they don't do their film work and their theater work going, OK, what's my core vulnerability? But. I think it helps students when they want to get into that place where they need to break. And so the core vulnerability is that point, which is at the either at the end of your life or somebody else's life, or the most joyous, positive thing you can get, whatever type of person you are. And I mentioned that story about uh, 
Tom Wingfield. And that's where I first experienced it, but I didn't call it anything then. And so core vulnerability means being aware of what I am when I go into a role and what am I vulnerable to? What am I afraid to demonstrate to people in real life? And the, the, this whole um, idea that we are acting instead of being in, in our profession kind of allows us a little bit of a shield. And what we want to do is we want to be able to come out of that shield. And so exposing that core vulnerability in the context of our work is what makes a difference in the depth of our performance. We give a three-dimensional performance. And so I teach that and it works. So I no longer, if somebody wants to cry, you don't cry on the line. You know what does what makes Alan cry? Yeah. What makes Alan destitute at the very core? And how does that relate to this scene and the situation I am in in, in, in this role? And knowing that, knowing the line that elicits the most emotion from you. And so if you start at that place, at the beginning of the scene, and you get to that line, you'll break every time. Yeah. And, uh, it's just a science that I found helps me and my students. A great example, I'll give you a great example of that, mm -hmm. is as I was working on this to teach I stumbled across the Henry Thomas video for E.T. He's nine, here's a nine-year-old boy uh, auditioning uh, for E.T. And uh, he balls through the whole thing. And it is, it's, if you don't, if you don't fall into a puddle of emotions watching that, you're dead, you know, and you shouldn't be an actor. Uh, and it's an incredible performance. And uh, a friend of mine had a conversation with uh, Henry years, just, just a year or so ago. Now he's in his 40s and he sent me a little video about, wow, man, that was awesome what you teach on that, you know. And so that was kind of fun. Uh, another great example is, um, you know, when I was growing up, we all looked up to guys like me, all looked up to Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro was one of my heroes. Uh, and, uh, you know, in the last 15 years, I, I imagine people are wondering why was Robert De Niro so hot because he was doing all of these easy movies, so to speak, you know, meet the Fockers and, and things like that. And it was kind of sad for me to go, oh, this is what happens when we get old. We play these roles, you know, and uh, he lands the role in Silver, Silver, Linings, Silver Lining Playbook. Yeah. And when I saw his performance in there, it crushed me. And I went, oh, my God, Robert De Niro is back. And it's what made him great and what makes actors like him great. And you'll hear everybody talk about this thing that I call core vulnerability, Anthony Hopkins and Peter O'Toole and all the greats from the generation before me or two. Uh, and in Silver Linings Playbook, he, he just, he came undone and it was a brilliant piece of work because it was honest and it was true. And they're doing an interview with David, the director and, uh, Bradley Cooper and Robert De Niro on a Katie Couric interview. You can look it up, Katie Couric, Robert De Niro. And, you know, a lot of people make fun of that because Robert De Niro cries. And why he cries is because the script spoke to him in such a way that it opened up his core vulnerability. 
immediately and you, and she starts to question him and it's a it's a brilliant piece and so the point that i'm trying to make here is that you need to know what your core vulnerability is you need to know what you're sensitive to and what breaks you and you carry that so that it is available at the snap of the finger and you see that happen in that interview with robert de niro and it's brilliant and if that doesn't mess you up then you know go do something else because that's what our work is all about and that's why you know the, the director david was saying it's amazing and robert de niro cried and we're all going oh wow that's fantastic robert de niro's crying we got to have him do it again you know and the great thing is if you're connected to your core vulnerability you can do it again you know and so um I, I i don't know what more i can tell you without going on for another hour but uh, <laughs> does that help it does. As, as you were talking about it, I was, uh, I was, you know, kind of mentally accessing what that is for me. And there are plenty of, uh, of areas that I can easily access that uh, would immediately, uh, you know, make me uh, kind of break because these are the things that I worry about or I worry about not getting to uh, to them or what you know some may think of me uh, for these parts. So yeah, absolutely. It's it's something that I think all of us. And the more you know yourself, the more you're going to know those parts. So yeah. Uh, yeah, it it made perfect sense to me. And I, it, I, in drawing that correlation between nine-year-old Henry Thomas and uh, I don't know how old Robert De Niro is. He's in his late seventies, I think. Yeah. Uh, he was probably early seventies when he did. Uh, playbook, but drawing that distinction is um, we're taught we're 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 taught to protect ourselves and protect our heart, you know, and and so we work so hard to do that, and then as we age, as we become young adults, uh, we kind of keep that stuff in, and we don't show it because we're afraid. We don't want people to think that we're phony and we're a bad actor, and the challenge is is people don't connect with you because you're shallow you you they don't think of you as a bad actor but oh, that person's not working for me and then we see you know these other actors who just you know uh open up and that's the difference and i'm and, uh, and i just want to clarify they don't know that it's core vulnerability they just know how to access yeah. it all i did was come up with a tool to help us access it so thank you for asking about that thank you i appreciate it uh, listen, I, I have uh, you know 20 more questions for you, and I want you to come back so we can continue this discussion. But um, I, I don't know of a better way to end it because I think that's that's it. So I want everybody now, you know, to go and follow Doug, obviously, and then to uh, to go into a closet with a bottle of wine or not, and uh, you know, turn off the lights and find yours. That's right. Absolutely. Great. Oops. Sorry. Alexa, this talk. Sorry. Uh, yeah, right. So I guess it's time to go, huh? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm sorry about that too. Thank you, Doug. I, it's, it's really a pleasure. I definitely want to continue this. Okay, great. Well, you know how to find me, Alan. Uh, look forward to when we're all free to get out of our houses. It'd be great to sit down and, and talk yeah. acting with you on a personal level. So I what really a pleasure. Thank you so much for thinking and remembering yeah. after all these years. Wow, that's great. Uh, it's it's not just remembering. I've never forgotten, and uh, I never will. So thank you, Doug. Okay, great. All right, and thanks for everybody uh, for tuning in. I appreciate it. Uh, 
we know you love acting as much as we do, and that's why we do this. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.